Own Your Truth with life strategist Laura T. Real advice for regular people. Now, here's Laura. Hello and welcome to Own Your Truth, where we're talking real advice for regular people. I'm Laura T. Tonight, we're going to talk about leadership. As a coach, I hear a lot of people make assumptions around what it is to be a leader. It's sort of this idea that it's got one definition and everyone knows what it is and either you are a leader or you aren't a leader. And unfortunately, it's just not that simple. So tonight I'm going to debunk three leadership myths. Myth number one is you're born a leader. This is an old school belief. You're either born a leader or you aren't. Well, tonight we're going to squash that belief because it's just not true. Myth number two, your behavioral style or let's say your personality type isn't suited for leadership roles. Oh, this topic actually has come up a lot in the past couple of weeks in my coaching sessions. And there's a misunderstanding that certain characteristics make for better leaders. We'll talk about why that isn't the case and we'll actually explore different leaders from across different behavioral personality spectrums. So you really want to listen in to number two. Myth number three, leadership training can wait until you're in line for a leadership role. You know, it's interesting on this one. I find people don't intentionally believe that leadership training can wait, but they don't think about it until they think they need it. So we're going to talk about the importance of expanding your leadership exposure and how you think about being a leader, the truth about leadership training, and I'll share some examples of why it's so important to start young. How do you define leadership? I mean, seriously, have you ever thought about it in detail or even written it down? Let's get even more specific. What characteristics are most important to you in a leader? You know, when I think about leadership, it's often a definition that's outside of myself, right? So for instance, when I thought about my characteristics of an ideal leader, let's say I had to hire someone, right, to lead my company. They would include smart, practical, kind, generous, financially conservative, tech savvy, growth minded, caring, patient, trusting, trustworthy, hardworking, strategic, risk taker, good with numbers, attention to detail, big picture thinker, enthusiastic, reliable, loyal, and that's just off the top of my head. I mean, holy moly, that's a lot of characteristics. And although when I say them, they sound amazing, as someone who studies human behavior, I know it's almost impossible to find all of those characteristics in one person. Besides, when you look at some of them, they're actually behaviorally opposite. So for example, being a big picture thinker often means you don't have attention to detail. And I also mentioned I was looking for someone who's financially conservative because after all, I'm a small business with a small budget. But how can someone think small and still be a strategic risk taker, right? They, they contradict each other. So as you think about your definition of leadership, consider are there contradictions? How many of them are there? And then I'm going to ask you, how would you stack up to your own list? Because I had to step back and think about this. If I were interviewing myself and these were the characteristics I had to meet in order to get the job, I'm not sure I'd make it past the first round. For example, I am not patient. Now, I adapt to my patience level for my kids and my clients, but by nature, I am horribly impatient. 
Anyone who has seen me on the road or seen me drive would know this. So listen, when I lose my temper, I will justify it, right? I mean, it's depending on the situation. Well, so what's interesting is that in an instance like this, I will forgive myself, justify myself for being impatient. But if I'm working with someone who I hired to have patience, I have to ask myself, would I give them the same runway? The truth is, not usually. You see, the thing about how we evaluate leadership is we're willing to overlook our own leadership inadequacies because we know our intentions are good and we believe others know our intentions are good too. And when we like and appreciate our leaders, we often give them the same benefit of the doubt. However, we have a hard time tolerating inadequacies of those leaders whose leadership characteristics don't match ours. And as a result, we distrust their intentions. Much of leadership comes down to trust, but is our way of evaluating trust in those we work with really fair? So myth number one is leaders are born. This is an old school belief. You're either born with leadership or you aren't. I'm gonna squash that belief or we're gonna talk about the mindset of leadership. Myth number two, assessments determine leadership ability. You know, this is a topic that's come up a lot over the past couple of weeks, and there's a misunderstanding that certain behavioral styles or characteristics make for better leaders. This isn't really the case. We'll talk about why, and I'll share different leaders from across the different behavioral spectrums. And then myth number three, leadership training can wait. Like I said, I find that people don't intentionally believe that leadership training can wait, but they don't want to think about it until they need it. And so we're going to talk about the importance of understanding yourself as a form of leadership training and discussing the need to start exercising your leadership skills today. Okay. Let's look at myth number one, leaders are born. You know, as I was thinking about this concept, I said, it's really interesting that this idea conjures up a thought like in the womb, there's this special leadership gene that some babies get and others don't, and who knows who decides who gets it. Um, but then whatever it is, like that determines your fate. Your, your fate is sealed by whatever gene you get. Well, fortunately, according to Psychology Today, the best estimates offered by research is that leadership is about one-third born and two-thirds made. The job of leading an organization, military unit, or nation and doing so effectively is so fantastically complex. So to expect that a person would be born with all of the tools needed to lead just doesn't make sense based on what we know about the complexity of social groups and process. So again, that comes from psychology today. So if nothing else I said, I say is reassuring, at least we have some research, right? So the story about um, the person during the assessments um, I was talking with, their boss actually said that they weren't fit to be a leader, that based on the, they're more internal, they were shy, based on how this individual showed up at work, that her boss did not see there was much room for growth um, because her style just didn't allow for it. Well, that's absolutely crazy. It's important to know that approach to leadership is not about, about style. It's is about 
I'm going to say that again because the approach to leadership is about style, not about one's ability to lead. So because I want to make sure this is totally clear, one's approach to leadership is about style, not about their ability to lead. And so I'll talk about this a little bit later because different styles serve important purposes for different organizations and at different times of an organization. Um, But the important message to get across right now is no one can determine your leadership potential except you. So it really frustrates me when someone, anyone, tells another human being they do not have the potential to lead because, in fact, it's not true at all. In my experience, the single most important factor is merely the desire to lead. For some, that desire comes very naturally and it comes at birth. For others, it takes time and it's something they grow into. And then there are others who never want to leave. It's just not a part of what they see in their life experience. It's not something they desire. So whichever group you fall into, it's absolutely fine. Own your truth about it. A mistake I often see made at companies is they take someone who's very skilled in their area of expertise and then promote them to a leadership leadership role without considering if the person wants to be a leader. Being skilled does not equate to a desire to work with and lead people. So ultimately in these situations, the individual loses confidence and issues arise. Again, when we look at this idea of leadership and are you born with it or not, it doesn't matter. It really is that desire to lead. If you have a desire to lead, you can learn the skills to be a great leader. If you don't, that's okay too. Make sure that the people you're working with know that. It's not a detriment. It's not a negative. It's just owning your truth. All right, so that's myth number one. Myth number two is assessments determine leadership ability. Now, it's important for listeners to know that in my work as an executive coach, I use a specific uh, behavioral assessment. It's called the DISC assessment. Um, And it helps me understand how people show up. The assessment was actually created to help understand um, the perception of behavior. So the problem with the way the assessment and a lot of people in my business use it is that it becomes a label to weed out candidates instead of a tool for curiosity to help employees better understand their the place that they'll exceed as a leader. So in going through the assessment, I often hear more um, introverted, internal, task-oriented people say that they don't have the ability to serve in a leadership role. And that's absolutely false. I'll also hear a lot from people who, um, who are quieter um, or people who are not as direct or as charismatic that they don't have the ability to lead. And that is not true. So what I've done is I've put together a list of leaders across different behavioral styles. Again, I'm using the DISC assessment so that anyone who's familiar with the assessment um, can reference the, the leadership styles that I'm about to talk about. 
and the different people who match them. I think even if you don't know the assessment, it'll be easy for you to see the different styles just by the people that I name. Um, so dominance is known to be a direct, forceful style. People who prefer the style value action and achievement and tend to be fast-paced and task-orientated. Some people who fall into that category would be Judge Judy, Michael Jordan, and Simon Cowell. So Judge Judy from the show, uh, Judge Judy. Michael Jordan obviously is a huge athlete, and Simon Cowell is the TV personality from America's Got Talent, in case you weren't aware. Looking at the next behavioral style, the influencer, this is someone who is very people-orientated, very external, also very fast-paced. Um, people who fall into that category include Bill Clinton, former president of the United States, Oprah Winfrey, everybody knows Oprah, TV host, and Will Smith, the actor. Then when we look at steadiness as a behavioral style, they're more internal, loyal, uh, people-orientated, slower-paced, slower to make decisions. People who fall into that category include great leaders like Martin Luther King Jr., a civil rights figure, Michael J. Fox, also an actor, and Mother Teresa, a religious figure. The final behavioral style, compliance, are individuals who are very task-orientated, very internal, really appreciate and get into the detail. Those individuals include Albert Einstein, famous physicist, Bill Gates, obviously a businessman, and Diane Sawyer, the news anchor. So you can see, regardless of the behavioral style that someone falls into, there are great leaders in every style. And besides, different leaders are hired for different reasons, depending on the need and circumstances of the company or the organization. So I like to give this example. I was working with a lobbying group whose history of leadership really exemplifies this point of needing different leaders for different times. So it was a young lobbying organization. The first CEO hired um, because he knew the product, he was well-respected, he was soft-spoken, and he was really liked. And so the people in the organization were really happy. However, he stayed a little too long and the organization as a result faced challenging times. So the second CEO was hired and brought in to sort of, you know, clean up the mess. I have my air quotes. Um, financially, things weren't good. So this gentleman was very smart, numbers focused, and he was somewhat socially awkward. So he didn't have the rapport with the people, the members of the team. Um, it was stressful times. And the organization needed him and his style to help turn things around, which he did quite successfully. And then the third CEO was brought in, and this gentleman was charismatic, and he was firm but fair, and he was politically well-connected. The organization at this time needed someone like that to gain credibility among government officials, so he gave the organization exposure to Capitol Hill. You can see just in the short span of three leaders that you can bring in different styles to serve an important purpose and be great leaders for that time. Okay, so that's myth number two. Myth number three is leadership training can wait. As I mentioned in the intro, it's not that people believe leadership training can wait, but they often don't think about it until they need it. And 
the truth is we're all leading someone or something even if we don't realize it. I mean, think about it. If you're a young kid with siblings or you're a teenager on a team or you're an adult in a relationship, you're a parent, or you meet, even meet regularly with friends for like a book club, you may manage a team at work, or you may be doing something as big as running a company. You have people watching you and how you show up is likely influencing those people around you. Again, whether you do it intentionally or unintentionally, it's likely you're doing it. It's really time to make sure that you're intentional. So how do you train to be a good leader? It really starts with understanding yourself. The more you understand about yourself, the more equipped you are to communicate with others. You know, I mentioned the DISC assessment a little earlier because I use assessments to help people have the language to understand themselves. And then together, we build systems that allow them to work with different styles. I really see leadership training as people training, right? And the data from research by ADP Research Institute points out the biggest differentiator between high and low performing teams is trust in the leader. Trust isn't something that can be taught. It's something that's built over time and through communication. So think about how do you currently build trust? What's working? What isn't working? Ideally, how do you want to be working with the people in your community, in your organization, in your family? And then consciously build your culture around that. It's so important to recognize that you have the ability to impact the people around you with your influence. Leadership training can't wait because working with people who mutually trust each other, it just can't wait. So in review, the three leadership myths are myth number one, leaders are born. We learn the truth is some are, but most are developed over time. And anyone who has a desire to lead can be a leader. Myth number two, assessments determine leadership ability. Well, we know that's not true. There are all types of leaders and often different leadership styles are needed for different positions. And there are examples of great leaders in every style. Myth number three, leadership training can wait. It's likely you're influencing people with your actions, whether you recognize it or not. So be intentional and at the core of leadership, remember it's always about trust. Okay, the song you're about to hear, Sail With Me, was written, composed, and performed by Tommy Antonellis. The song was co-produced by Tom Antonellis, who happens to be a high school friend of mine, and his mom, Rosemary, in association, in association with Thick Skin Creations. The featured violinist is Cecile Cruz. So without further ado, here is Sail With Me.
Welcome back. Let's get to Own Your Truths Q&A. The first question comes from Jen out of Fairfield. She says, I'm in a leadership position managing a team of 16 and there's a lot I feel I could do for my organization, but how do I accomplish what I want when my leader is a micromanager and somewhat controlling? Ah, this can be really challenging, Jen. And so, you know, I mentioned earlier, the key is really about communication. It's about communication between you and your manager. And it's also looking at if that communication doesn't work, where else, who else can you speak with? So let's start with the, the manager piece. It's important to recognize, as I said earlier, different managers have different styles. So look to find the parts of your style that are similar. You want to build on what's there that's good, and that will help you work through some of the more challenging situations you have with your manager. So once you've looked at the qualities that you can work with, the qualities that you find um, are that serve you in the organization, then move over to the qualities that you find challenging and ask yourself, is there another way I can look at, for instance, let's use the idea of someone who's micromanaging. Now, when I'm working with clients, I'm saying, okay, if you could think of another way to observe your leader's behavior other than micromanaging, what could it be? Now, this doesn't mean the individual isn't micromanaging, but what we wanna do is look for space between a characteristic that can be seen as a very negative, like micromanager, and flip it to a place where it's something that you can work toward and open up communication with. So. Okay, someone who's a micromanager. What are some of the fears of someone who micromanages? Is the fear that they're going to make a mistake? Is the fear that you mentioned controlling, that they'll lose control? And then coming up with questions for that individual that will hopefully help me work with them better. So for instance, if someone is controlling, what I'm saying this to my manager, what would it take for you to feel comfortable and confident that you can let go of a little bit of the control? What would it take for you to consider or what does it look like for you to consider releasing some of the control? If you could release control, what would be the first thing you would release, right? So I'm taking this language that at this point likely doesn't serve you. And I'm trying to get curious and find ways that I can break through and into the mind of the individual I'm working with so that we can work together, especially if I know I'm going to be working with them long-term. So Jen, if it's impossible for you to find a way to communicate with your manager, it's then looking for other people that you can work with and through. This doesn't mean going over your manager's head. It simply means surrounding yourself with people who are supportive to help you achieve all the wonderful things that you want to achieve. Get resourceful, get curious, and hopefully you can find a way to do all of the good things you want to do for the organization. I hope that helps, Jen. Okay, so we have a caller. Hello. Hi, my name is Sarah. 
Um, and I have a quick leadership question for you. Awesome, Sarah. Thanks so much for calling in. What's your question? So um, hopefully I'll be the captain of the cross-country team next year. And um, one of the things that I'm kind of having trouble with is the idea of getting caught up and being a senior and not being the strongest leader that I can be. Um, similar to, you know, the leaders this year, I felt that um, they got caught up in things and they weren't exactly great role models for the underclassmen. I don't want to do that. What can I do to not get caught up in those types of things? Well, so it's great that you're asking this question and even thinking in advance. You know, what I would ask you is what does it look like to be a good role model for you, right? So you've clearly defined what what you don't want to see. What would you want to see as a role model? What type of role model do you want to be? Um, probably someone who, you know, says hi to the kids in the hallway and make sure that they always feel included and that they want to come to practice and that they're excited to be a part of the team. So those are great, great characteristics. And so what I would suggest is taking them, you know, saying hi to kids in the hall, making sure they're feeling included and allowing them to get excited about being a part of the team and create a plan around the things that you can do that would make it happen. So for instance, when you say, I want to make sure, you know, saying hi to the kids in the hall, that's that's important to me, right? Mm -hmm. When you're going through your day, kind of set up a goal. Maybe you say, okay, like, you know, I don't know how big your team is, but, you know, today I'm going to make sure I say hi to at least two kids or at least four kids so that right. you're thinking about it and you have a system to help it stay top of mind. Because sometimes we have these really beautiful intentions, but until we create a plan to put it into action, it kind of stays out there as something we want to do. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And then how would you help the kids feel included? What could you do to help underclassmen feel included on the team? Well, I think, you know, pasta parties, um, you know, team building things if we go to events or um, definitely, you know, fundraisers. We just want to make sure that, you know, they're included in as much as possible as a group with everyone. Awesome. Those are such great examples. So you've already been thinking about this. You've got some good ideas. Put them on a schedule, right? Because once you schedule it, it's more likely to happen. So right. you, again, I, you've got lots of great ideas. You're thinking about this in advance. Make sure that you put a plan together to create a, a year that or a season for your team. That's what you really want to have. Definitely. Does that help? Thank you so much. Yes. Next question, he's out of Monroe. He says, I like the company I work for and the work that I do, but the boss I work for is a bad leader. He yells a lot, which demotivates the team, and he micromanages. He doesn't give team members the chance to learn. He tells you how to do things when it's your job to get it done. I feel like he doesn't have our back. Well, Anthony, that is that can be really challenging. Um, and so... One of the things that I would suggest is, again, this idea of opening up communication with your leaders and trying to understand what they're thinking. When your leader is demotiva demotivating the team or micromanaging, um, not in that moment, but separately, it's important to understand his intention. And the only way to truly understand that 
is by asking him. And so one of the questions that I like to pose for people to open up awareness is, you know, what was the result you were looking for when da 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 this happened? This allows the person to explain what they were thinking. Oftentimes, you know, I mentioned earlier that there's when we're working with challenging people, we question their intentions and it's really that they don't have a way to communicate it. Their intentions that motivates people. And so really understanding what was the result you were looking for. Um, and then helping the individual self-discover, well, what do you feel happened afterward? And how did that work? And the individual you mentioned that he doesn't give mem- team members a chance to learn. If we don't want to repeat the same situation, what does the team member have to learn to move forward? It really is about asking questions to help, number one, understand what your leader's thinking and where he's going with his style. And being curious when we're frustrated with people um, or we find it challenging to work with them, it can get easy to make assumptions and to think that you already know what they're thinking unless you ask, you're guessing. And so really stay curious, ask lots of questions, um, and even consider other ways that you can help the individual find a new approach, right? And that best way that's done is through asking questions. So Anthony, I hope that helps. Again, understanding your challenging situation, the best thing for you is to stay curious and ask lots and lots of questions. Okay, on to our next question. Um, Our next question comes from John out of Norwalk. He asked, If you're given the role as a director of a project at work and you want to be inclusive of other people's ideas, how can you filter the choices of the best ideas without causing hurt feelings among coworkers? This is such a great question, John. Thank you so much. Um, The key is to make sure that the criteria for choosing the ideas is clear up front. That will help diminish stories around why things were chosen, right? Oftentimes, our way of choosing is not clearly articulated. I even recommend highly putting it in writing so that it's really transparent how the choice is going to be made. Remember, I mentioned earlier that the greatest difficulty in the workplace is the diminishing of trust. And so when you're having these types of opportunities where people are submitting their ideas and they're they're giving of themselves, you want to make sure that you're crystal clear and articulating how you're going to make the choice. It will make things easier afterward. Okay. I think we have another caller. Hello. Who am I speaking with? Hi, Laura. This is Tony from Fairfield. Hi, Tony. How are you? Great, great. So, Laura, I run an organization where I've got a lot of technical resources. It's an IT organization. And I have a number of mid-level managers who, they're very good at what they do day-to-day. They're very compliant by nature. They're they're technologists. Mm -hmm. And I need them to be stronger leaders of people. What can I do to help them? 
become stronger leaders of not just the technical projects, but the people that are underneath them to develop those people to be future leaders in the organization? That is such a great question. And, you know, I think first and foremost, you've got to ask them if they have the desire to be a leader because the the understanding of people, especially for people who are highly technical um, and compliant, if they have a desire to lead, they also have, I mean, if they have a desire to to be a leader, they tend to have a desire to want to learn about it. So they're actually really great individuals to help teach the people soft skills. Um, But first and foremost, you've got to figure out if there's an interest in leading people. So of your team members, do you have a sense of who wants to be a leader and move up to that type of position? Yeah, I definitely have two that at least body language and verbally they say they want to. Um, I think the hard thing is that I see results that don't you know, at least today, I don't think they've got the ability to step up and be that type of leader of people. And a lot of it's just around consistent communication. Well, it's important to know that things, for someone who is a good leader, for someone who is more people-orientated, there are things that it's easy to assume everybody will get and or understand. It's important you know that's not the case. It tends not to be the case for people who are compliant by nature. And so... Don't make assumptions about what they know. I would, again, I'm always talking about going in and asking questions and looking for opportunities to have them self-discover when their style is not helping them progress to the leadership that they say they want. So, for instance... If someone says they want to be a leader and um, when it comes to... Can you give me an example of something that may not have worked? Yeah, I've got, I've got one, one manager who he's having a difficult time with one of his associates. And, you know, it's, it's going to be one of these decisions where he's got to figure out, is this person going to work or is this person not going to work out? And I think that he doesn't have enough courage right now mm. to make the tough decision if that person is not going to work out. Ah, so this is a fantastic example. Um, it's making, it's helping the, him get that confidence to make the decision. So I would be asking him, what pieces of information do you need to decide one way or the other? And having him specifically say, I need this for a decision of yes. I need this for a decision of no. Breaking it down into small manageable chunks will help them find a way to make those decisions because it's backed up by fact and information where if we just talk about it in general, it may not be enough for them to do the hard work, right? To have the courage to make the decision. I like that because I think, you know, asking the questions and then really having him come to some self-realization, I think could be a really empowering moment for not just him, but for me as well as his, as his manager. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tony, for your call. And I hope this helps. Keep me posted. Okay. Thank you so much for our callers tonight and for all of you who've submitted questions online. Um, That is tonight's show on leadership and mindset. Mm -hmm.